Edmonton. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of That Sums It All Up. Hope you're all well. In Edinburgh, we're enjoying some overly due and more than welcome sunlight. It does make all the difference, especially at this time of the year and given COVID and all of that nonsense. You know what else makes all the difference? Arsenal winning a football match, especially having lost the last two on the trot in the league in exceedingly frustrating fashion. So today's discussion, or at least the first half of it, will focus on the rather enjoyable 4-2 victory over Leeds from the weekend. As a scoreline suggests, there was plenty of talking points to take away to dissect in our discussion. We'll then look ahead to the first leg of the Round 32 Europa League contest against Benfica. We're travelling, or the Arsenal squad will be travelling to Rome, or might have just touched down at the time of recording, which is on Wednesday evening. There's plenty to ponder in terms of team selection, where the club's priorities ought to lie in terms of league or Europa League and all sorts of other things. So make yourself a coffee, a tea, grab yourself a beer if you're listening later on in the day. Today's podcast is going to be a good one. So joining or rather rejoining me today for today's show, of course, it's Johnny Rosen, the man behind Football Transfer News official. Hello, Johnny. How are you today? I'm well. I'm not too I'm not too bad, you know, coping with lockdown. Apparently, lockdown's gonna be starting to ease up here in Scotland, kind of beginning of March, which was good news. Other than that, you know, really busy, like I'm sure you are with work starting to pile up, fixtures, a lot of Arsenal fixtures, kind of every three, four days now with European football returning. So excited for that. Well, apprehensive and excited for that. But yeah, doing pretty well. What about you? How's it going? Yeah, it's, it's going well. As I said, I've, I've as as we've, we're, we're both up in, in Scotland, so we've had pretty... Pretty difficult weather at the moment, uh, or recently, but it's, it's brightened up over the last few days, and I just feel like it makes such a difference in terms of general outlook to to life and sort of feeling more enthusiastic about you know your, your day to day monotony because it all is is quite monotonous at the moment. But like you say, plenty of football, and when Arsenal win a game, that's always enjoyable. I mean, it's quite an, an intense schedule in itself. But then you know, like we've spoken about this before, but then we've got like all the podcasts, all the reading. Fancy football on the side. Um, it, it, it is just very, very intense every three, four days. And now the Champions League and Europa League started again, um, which sort of is quite nice, I guess, as a respite in terms of, you know, the intensity of domestic domestic football gives us something different. But hopefully I'll be saying that tomorrow after Arsenal Arsenal beat Benfica away from home at Rome. Um, it's the, wait, it's the away leg tomorrow, isn't it? It's the away leg tomorrow. I'm going to just interrupt quickly because Fulham have just gone 1-0 up, oh. which is a bit of a shame for both uh, of us. Have they actually? And, uh, yeah, they have. And I'm waiting to find out who's scored. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there's a chance maybe it could get VARD. I don't know. But I just got a notification saying 1-0 Fulham. That's all the information I have at the moment, which is a shame from a fancy football perspective. That is great news. Thank you, Nick Pope. Anyway, uh, uh, Nick Pope. Anyway, we were saying Champions League. Yeah, I've just looked on Twitter, but but, well, not unsurprising, but Tierney's travelled. Yeah, Tierney's travelled. Which is promising. Um, But yeah, so we were on Champions League. Um, Did you happen to catch the games yesterday? How how did you find them? 
I mean, I watched the the PSG Barca game. Mm. Uh, I mean, just a ridiculous game from a from an Mbappe standpoint. Mm. I think it's the best. I mean, a lot of people. I think Julian Laurent and Gillian Balogun, a few other people on Twitter, were just saying maybe. I mean, definitely Poch's best PSG performance, but also saying that this was um, Mbappe's best performance for PSG, mm. which just shows. I mean, that third goal was oh, it was Henri. It was basically. It was basically Henri. Beautiful. In an, uh, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, the way he took it first time, curled it past the Stegen. But I mean, he's an, I mean, he was incredible. And I don't think PSG would swap Mbappe for Messi right now. Oh, I mean, they'd, that, they'd, they'd be silly to. That's, that's for sure. I mean, he's only, what, he's 22 or something like that, which yeah. is slightly ridiculous. And I know that he's, he's got a contract sort of, situation coming up shortly i think he's got a year year and a half left on his deal so mm. i mean i was talking yesterday and I, I was thinking about whether he'd go anywhere and i just don't think there's the market for him at the moment because real madrid seems like an obvious destination but they don't have the funds i don't see him sort of swapping psg for man city other clubs that could afford him i mean there's none really so i see him sort of staying at psg and maybe pochettino can can finally build a, a really great team um Right. Yeah, I, I mean, and Neymar signed his extension yeah, with PSG. Yeah, of course. So that that seems to suggest that those two are sticking around for a while. But yeah, the the Mbappe goals yesterday were excellent. It did seem. I mean, I was looking at the Barcelona team on paper, and I was sort of thinking, well, they've got a pretty strong team out. Like, what what is there to to suggest that they can't do a number over PSG? And I'd quite like would have quite liked that to happen but it just shows how broken that team is how broken the club is obviously they're in a billion pounds of debt or something stupid like that Messi is just sort of a sad sight at the moment at least in the bigger games or when we get to see him um and PSG were great they look they look yeah. really good and that helps when you got Mbappe so I mean mm. first guy to score a hat-trick at the new camp since Shevchenko in 1997 or something like that. So yeah, for Dinamo Kiev it was. Yeah, 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 very impressive. And then Liverpool won two nil. Great, great couple of goals from Salah and Mane. Um, so I mean, order resumed in that sense. Never thought they'd sort of lose to Leipzig, to be honest. And sort of yeah, neither did I. Um, but look, let's let let's crack on with with the first part of our discussion and 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 cast our eyes back to Sunday. Uh, Valentine's Day and and it definitely uh, definitely provided a bit of love from the Arsenal point of view. Uh, we beat Leeds four um, two, which obviously it was great to see us score four goals, and I think more importantly it was great to see us get the three points and perform really well from an attacking sense because we just lost two games in the league. We've gone three without one with that draw against Manchester United. I think the way in which we lost those games to Wolves and Villa especially the Wolves game and then Villa coming afterwards were just so frustrating with decisions, red cards, all of the rest of it. We won't go into that. So I think it was so important for the Leeds game to go well. And I mean, it went pretty well. So do you want to start from the beginning and just uh, let's go back to to, to kick off and, and when starting seven came out, what, what were your initial thoughts on that? I've just literally had another news alert Burnley have equalized. Burnley have equalized. Ashley Barnes with the goal. Jay Rodriguez with the assist. And Ole Aina scored for Fulham. He's uh, Anderson with few, the assist. He's got a few well, he got a, that guy. Well, he got that incredible goal 
um, kind of before the end of the year. I think it won goal of the month, uh, that goal he scored. I can't remember who he scored against, but it was a brilliant goal. But yeah, he's not a bad player. But yeah, it's, it's currently 1-1 in that game now. It doesn't really do much. But we were saying Arsenal, the lineup for Leeds, it was it was interesting. Hmm. I was I was really pleased to see uh Odegaard start. Hmm. I thought um I that that was my big big main impression. I was kind of in I thought it was good good to see Holding rested. He's played a lot. I think he's played out of all outfield players, only Saka's played more than him in the Premier League. He's got a he's got obviously a history uh with injuries, quite serious injuries, and this was as good a game as any to rest him and Gabriel, as we know, is more than a good enough kind of deputy. Do you think, so, I mean, just, just to just to ask you on that, do you think that, I mean, I, I'm sure it was a part of it was a case of rotating and giving mm-hmm. him a rest, but, you know, I can't look past um, his role in the goal against Villa when he sort of let Oli Watkins quite like free in the box. I know it was Cedric. Yeah, he switched off there. But then also, um, you know, the sort of way that we were playing against Leeds and you could see how obvious it was that David Luiz and Gabriel were sort of striding forward with intent and playing mm. forward. I don't know if Rob Holding is that sort of player. So I'm not sure whether it, maybe it was, you know, it made sense to rest him and he's played a lot of football, but also maybe it's just a case of selecting the, the players more suited to the game state and we knew that Leeds sort of were going to come out like that and, and we needed to progress the ball, you know, quickly and, and boldly. But um, yeah. like no, Definitely, definitely. I agree with that. There, this was definitely um, somewhat tactical by mm. uh, Arteta. It wasn't purely to give holding a rest because, and I think, I can't remember whether this was mentioned on Arsenal Vision or uh, on um, the Arsecast, but it was noted in one of those two podcasts how with Party out of the team, we were lacking that right-sided diagonal pass, which mm. Holding doesn't have, but David Luiz has. Mm. And so the simple solution was shift Holding out of the team, put Luiz in a right centre-back where he can play that cross-field ball towards the left attacking channel mm. and play Gabriel, yeah, Gabriel left centre-back and Luiz over to right centre-back. And so tactically, that must have been a thought because if you think about uh, Abamyang's first goal against Newcastle and Party kind of spraying that right to left sided ball from midway through our half into the Newcastle attacking third. Those were basically the passes that Abami, uh, that Louise was playing in this game, and it was making up for that loss of direct passing in that way. Um, and that kind of specific angle. So from a tactical standpoint, it makes sense as well. I remember, I think it was Clive um, from Arsenal Vision describing Holding as like a backs-to-the-wall defender who's brilliant in games like the 1-0 at Old Trafford earlier this season where we're defending with almost a deep block ourselves in in our own boxes, heading out corners, heading out crosses, Um that's Holdings' fourth day. And and I remember reading on Twitter, someone had tweeted, I'm sorry, I can't remember who, that if he played for like a bottom six team, he'd be man of the match every week, Rob Holding, because that's what he gives you. But in a game where we were set up to press and it was interesting how much we press leads, given that they're typically a team that presses the opposition, uh, Holding wasn't 
wouldn't have been the first choice. Mm. And it made sense to go with Gabriel and Luis. So yeah, lineup wise, I guess it made sense. And with with Aubameyang starting through the middle, it was just I think it was just one of those games. It was the needed ball playing midfielders, kind of high touch players who can get on the ball and look and find where the space is to exploit, which you'll get when you're playing against Leeds. And Saka Smith Rowe and Odegaard, I thought all had very good games. Saka probably the pick of the bunch, but they I mean they they all performed really well as they've continued to do so throughout this kind of run post boxing day. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it, it was a case of of rotation, I'm sure, with the with the Benfica game coming up. But then at the same time, you know, you're 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 playing the players that are suited to the game. You know, I remember I think I think holding played in the Leeds game back in November or whenever it was, uh when um Pepe got sent off for the headbutt and you know the ball it was a very much back to the wall sort of performance and that suggested that you know, the change of holding not starting and starting David Luiz and Gabriel, um, playing Aubameyang through the middle, uh, playing these three attacking players behind him, sort of to, to you know, um, centralise the service to him, I thought was really bold tactically. And I think, you know, it, it, it reaped the rewards. And, you know, Bielsa was quoted saying after the game that he was out-tacticked by uh, Arteta and, you know, Xhaka and Ceballos played a big role in that as well. So I, I really liked the attacking intent and the sort of press in that game. Do you, do you, do you want to tell me the uh, the Manchester City lineup before I get to, yeah, to check my phone? I'll tell you that quickly. It was, well, Stones on the bench. Cancelo starts uh, with Walker. Laporte and Diaz, obviously Edison in goal. That's the defence. And then coming in for Gundogan, Foden, Bernardo, Rodri, Mares. I guess takes that kind of position, and I, I guess Bernardo will drop into yeah. the Gundogan role. Gabriel and Sterling starts, and then Everton Awobi gets a start, which is nice to see alongside Sigurdsson and Richardson as the attacking three. Back, they've gone for a back three with Dean and Godfrey as the wing-backs, Yeremina, Michael Keane and Holgate as the three centre-backs, Pickford back in goal mm. and Decore and Tom Davis in the middle of the park. So also no Hammers who's on the bench yeah, um, for them. And that's that's kind of the major team news. Interesting. Well, Cancelo probably yeah. play left-back then. Will it, will yeah, Cancelo, Cancelo left-back, which I think he actually gets more of an opportunity to attack when he's left-back than right-back. Mm. from going off of information or from the kind of fancy football stats zone. But anyway, without getting too... Anyway, uh, anyway. <laughs> bogged down by fancy football, we'll stick to Arsenal. Yeah, let's let let's do that. Um, so, yeah, I think let's let's go through the goals. I mean, the only other thing that I wanted to say, obviously Martin Odegaard making his first start, which a lot of people would have anticipated um, him coming in for Emil Smith Rowe, but they they both started together. Pepe somewhat surprisingly dropped to the bench, but again, maybe it was just about game state and you know having those players to sort of move around, interchange in the attacking positions, technical security on the ball, and maybe again like holding. It was just a case of a rest. He's played a lot of football before the Benfica game. Lacazette obviously dropping to the bench as well. So Bios yeah, starting and, for the first well, time. Quickly about Pepe was obviously. Maybe it was to do with also those comments Alioski made pre-game, mm. kind of anti- trying to antagonise 
Pepe, I know Bamford came out and said them on a podcast. And... We saw it with Saka, didn't we? We saw how Alios... Yeah. Oh, kicked him all over the place and even stroked his hair and everything. Stroked his hair, trying to sort of get up in his grill, wind what him up. Prick. And Saka, I mean, that's what you want to see. That's how one responds to that sort of treatment, yeah. um, which we obviously saw Pepe sort of uh, get tripped up by um, a few months ago. But that was mm. great. So, yeah, it was, it was a rotated side out of necessity in parts, but then... I liked the blend of, you know, rotating because of you had to, i.e. Partey out with injury, but then also sort of dropping players who have perhaps been in good form, give a debut to Erdegaard, you know, not start holding or Pablo Mari, um, bring in Gabriel again. And I, I had no problem with the sort of lineup. Um, mm. And it sort of very quickly became clear that we were going to have a good, a good, good um, day out at the Emirates. We went 1-0 up after 13 minutes, I think. Um, Abamyang, you know, we'd, we'd sort of played the ball really smoothly through the, the middle third, and then Abamyang was fed by Xhaka, um, sort of picked up on the left hand side, was running at uh, Luke Ailing, who I felt quite sorry for. He just looked completely out of his depth, sort of being run at by Abamyang, which is quite nice to see because we haven't seen sort of that that threat from Abamyang for a while. Mm. Um, and he sort of he, he cut inside and, and looked as if he was going to bend it into the far right hand corner and he sort of cut across the keeper. Um, it reminded me of an Alexis Sanchez goal. Um, I think maybe even Abamyang scored one of those where you sort of, you look, uh, the, the keeper expects you or the defenders expect you to sort of bend it into the far corner, but you sort of catch everyone out. And I thought it was a great goal and it was great to see him sort of get off the mark like that and, you know, set the tone for the game. So do you have any thoughts on, on that goal and sort of its importance? Yeah, I mean, I remember who, I can't remember who was on commentary for the Arsenal game, but they were banging on about the fact that we've scored the lowest amount of goals in the league inside the first 15 minutes uh, this season. So I was I was happy to see us score early on and shut them up, basically, with Aubameyang scoring. But it, it was a classic Aubameyang goal, which is what obviously he hasn't been doing this season, but last season, season before that, and kind of briefly when he signed, he, he cuts in on the left and just puts it in, whether he curls it out to the top right-hand corner, curls it to keeper's right, places it, keeper's left. Maybe we got a bit lucky with Melier on the day. Could have probably done a bit better for all three of our, our first-half goals. I don't think there's anything he could have done about the fourth goal. But, mm. You know, it's a great finish, and that's that's the exact position we want Aubameyang to be in. As you said, running head up at the left centre back or the right centre back, his his kind of left, and putting the ball in the net. It was very Alexis. I think Alexis scored a goal really similar to that against Stoke back uh, in the day years ago at the Emirates, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was one of those ones where you thought he was going to go high, and he just fizzed it down. I think it was underneath Begovic at the time, and. Um, and yeah, great goal, great way to start the game. And and the kind of it looked like the floodgates were going to open. Saka was all over their defense. He as just, you kind of alluded to, he was just, I mean, he is every time I watch him, he gets better. It's, it's, I don't know what you think, but, you know, he's incredible. Yeah. And I, and I think as Arsenal fans, just on Saka briefly, it's very easy to sort of get overexcited. And, and perhaps to other football fans, we say, oh, Saka's, you know, he's unbelievable. And, and they say, mm. oh, Arsenal fans hyping up their young players. But like, I think watching him week in, week out, seeing what he's done and contributed to this team now that it's in good form, but then also, you know, was carrying the team in, in many respects for, for so long from left wing back, left back, 
left wing, right wing, wherever he was asked to play. So so versatile. Exactly. And now you sort of look at him playing with a confidence and a, a sort of real attacking verve in a team that is just a better team and 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 mm. sort of better functioning. And we're really seeing sort of, I think, again, I, I think I've said it before, but, you know, he broke out sort of last season, but this season is his proper sort of right. This is my, this is my club. And I really like his confidence and his, um, you know, he seems like he loves playing for Arsenal, but yeah, that, that first goal was great. And then, you know, it, it was a really enjoyable first half. I mean, Saka was unlucky to have a penalty overturned sort of running through the box. I mean, it was slightly soft, but, you know, it was given and then overturned. I'm sure, you know, there have been examples of of sort of the opposite happening. But, you know, I didn't have too much of a problem because then, you know, Saka won another penalty. Uh, mm-hmm. Bamiang dispatched it. So do you have any any thoughts about those two penalty incidents? And, and you know, Bamiang could have had his hat-trick after two penalties and his opening goal. I mean, he obviously got it later on, but... Saka again, just wreaking havoc on that Leeds defence. Yeah, a brilliant, brilliant play. I mean, in both instances, from Saka to win the penalties, obviously the first one got overturned. I, I thought it was harsh, to be honest. I know it was. I know he went down soft, but if Saka's running like that, say he's through, similar to the foul that Ezri Konza committed um, and got booked for. You know, pushes him him over. If that's anywhere else on the pitch, you give that a, as a foul, mm. and it's in the box. And VAR overturn it, or VAR tell the ref to go and have a look at it, and he overturns it. Whatever. We're not speaking about it so much because it didn't matter. But mm. it's another one of those instances. And I'm not saying that there's an agenda against us, but it's just another example that shows that I feel like the little the little decisions still aren't really going our way. Second penalty. Again, great pressing by Saka. And what a penalty from Aubameyang. I didn't really appreciate how good it was, you know, in real time. And I, once I saw it on replay, it was just no keeper saving that. It was, a, it was a brilliant penalty. It was really nestled into the corner, wasn't it? It was. And he's a player, Aubameyang, who sometimes is a bit nervy from the spot. I mean, look, he missed that. I, I don't need to go into that penalty he missed against Tottenham because that, that was a big, big kind of season-defining penalty miss, in my opinion. But he missed that one. He missed the one against Man City when he first joined. Mm. So he's missed a few penalties from us and other penalties. He's looked a bit shaky and they've just kind of gone in. But it was good seeing him put one away with confidence and just the game kind of progressed. Yeah, he he, yeah. he, he really looked like he was chomping at the bit to sort of make mm. an impact. And I think he knew there were goals for him. I mean, I'm sure the confidence that sort of goes through him knowing that he's been sort of asked to play as that central striker and the team is basically geared around getting the best out of him, which I think is maybe, I can understand maybe why it hasn't happened to some extent up until this point, but I'm sure that would have been a big part, if not the main part of of the contract extension conversations, because, you know, he's Mm. 31 years old to be sold to, to stay at the club, not just with the money, but like, how are you going to get the best out of him surrounded by players like that? who are going to provide, contribute. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really, really impressive. And obviously, like you, I was slightly nervous before the penalty. But then I thought, actually, even though he was slightly... Um, I used to get quite nervous him taking penalties in the in the past. More recently, he's been pretty pretty emphatic from the sport. I mean, last season, yeah. too. Um, and then it went 3-0 before half-time. Again, Bamiang was involved. I think he got it on the left-hand side, sort of crossed it in. 
um, the ball broke to, I think Bellerin headed it back to Ceballos, who sort of paused and sort of popped it through the defender's legs. Saka had, I mean, Bellerin had all the time in the world to sort of steady himself. And I think we've seen him so many times and uh, there's examples in this Leeds game of sort of making the wrong decision or waiting mm. too long on the ball or taking a heavy touch, but he sort of just got his head down and smashed it past Meslier, Melier in the, in the near post. Again, if Leno can seize that goal, you're sort of thinking, well, don't get beaten at your near post, but it was a, exactly. great, a great move as well. So it was great to see us really put Leeds to the sword in a way that, you know, after that three, that third goal went in, I was like, right, let's, let, let's really do this. Let's, let's keep going because so many times we sort of go 2-0 up or in the past and then we sort of stop and, you know, you don't want that to happen because like we saw in the second half, it can change pretty quickly. But yeah. yeah, before we get on to the fourth goal, any other thoughts on the first half and, and that third goal? No, I think it was a it was an overridingly positive half. Third goal, from a footballing standpoint, was the best goal we scored. I mean, Saka, I think he ran up, ran past three or four defenders on the edge of the box, left a few kind of on their faces. Again, always seems to make the right decision. Could have taken a pot shot after kind of bit dribbling through a mm. few players but just simple layoff to Aubameyang Aubameyang gets his head up as you expect with someone like a, a, of Aubameyang calibre makes the right decision sees the spaces back over on the other side of the box because Alioski just run from left back to right back trying to keep up with Saka pings it over Bellerin heads it back I think Smith Rowe does really well to control it and hold off the oh, defender and it should be credited for that Smith Rowe plays it into Ceballos and a cheeky little nutmeg by Ceballos and yeah Bellerin finished well and he, he's got that in his locker he has scored those kind of goals he scored a few against Chelsea and and it's a shame his finishing usually from further back when he's on the edge of the box is so bad but when he's kind of in and around that eight to six yard area Bellerin just I think he just goes for power and just whacks it as hard as he can and gets it on target and yeah, it's not I a bad it's not, like, it's not a bad tactic for a right back I feel like with Bellerin as long as he hits it hard and low then that's where we've seen his sort of his successful shots on goal oh, yeah, he's sort definitely. of leathering it or opening his foot up I don't know how well he can sort of hit the ball really powerfully his technique sort of you know he almost slices through it and it always goes waywardly wide um, but yeah it was great to see him get a goal and we went into half time, three nil up, and they made two substitutions. You know, as as is the case with Leeds, <laughs> Marcelo Bielsa doesn't stick around. If he doesn't like what he sees, he changes it. So we knew that they were going to come out straight away and try and change things. And then it was slightly ironic that you know one of their substitutes, I think it was Helder Costa, gave the ball away, having mm. you know just I think they won it back from a great Saka run again, just driving through the sort yeah. of heart of the Leeds midfield. I think again, you know, without like us with Thomas Partey, they are without Calvin Phillips, which was probably quite a big blow for them. Had to reshuffle their defence. But again, the ball broke to Smith Rowe on the left. Did he cross it? Did he strike it? I mean, who cares? I think it was a great ball, whatever. And Aubameyang was in the right place at the right time to sort of plant his header into the bottom corner. First Premier League hat-trick. At that point, I was like, right, well, we've come out from half-time and Leeds, Five or six. Leeds have tried to take it to us and we've just sort of countered that. Um, and it was really enjoyable to see, again, that sort of goal, which, I mean, all the goals in their own way, even the penalty, the first goal, sort of individual 
quality. Um, Saka's winning the penalty, then a nice team goal, third goal, and then this goal as well. Mm. Sort of just a lovely finish and and cross shot, whatever it was. So it was it was great to see this attacking sort of cohesion come together with players that maybe we haven't associated with the sort of renaissance over the last few weeks or months mm. with with Lacazette and Pepe. It was great to see you know, the likes of Aubameyang able to come back in, you know, after a really tough period on the personal um, issues and Erdegaard sort of slot in seamlessly to to sort of be able to to contribute like that. So I thought it was great. And I just wanted to ask you, um, I mean, we spoke about how Pepe was maybe slightly unlucky to miss out. And, you know, it made sense given that it was Leeds to start Aubameyang through the middle. But were you... I mean, what do you make of the the, the three behind Aubameyang and sort of maybe why it worked so well? Because, you know, I don't think it would have not worked if Pepe started, but you're getting a very different player if you start Pepe on the left as opposed to Smith-Rowe, for example. And Pepe and Aubameyang, whilst we've seen a, a good partnership at points, maybe playing Aubameyang in this way through the middle um, mm-hmm. is more suited to sort of three you know, creative, uh, I'm not saying Pepe's not creative, but he's just a different type of player and I don't think he can't do that job. But what did you make of sort of the the, the triumvirate behind Aubameyang? Um... What, a, what a word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do what I can. <laughs> I, think, I think it was the most reminiscent of a Wenger team I've seen in a long time and, and in a positive way mm. because... I mean, look, we used to line up with could have been Eduardo, could have been Van Persie, could have been it could have even been Bentner playing through the middle at times. It was Arshavin, and then you, but he's a different kind of forward, so kind of stick to that sort of Van Persie, Eduardo mold of striker. And you'd have Nazri, Rizitsky, and Fabregas as the three behind him, mm-hmm. and it worked perfectly well. And we would make loads of chances, or you'd have. Arshavin, Nasri, Fabregas, and Walker on the right as the outlet who'd come in. And I think when you've got a striker like a Bamiang having those creatives like Smith, Rowan, Odegaard, and Saka, because Saka in his own right could play in a number 10, he's more than capable of doing it. And it's so important to have those creatives because a Bamiang doesn't create chances for himself. He's a penalty box striker. I mean, yes, his first goal he did actually play a role in creating that chance by driving at the defender. But I think we've got to credit Xhaka who played a very kind of quick first time ball to open up that space. But, you know, 90% of Aubameyang's goals, it's him finishing. It's not him creating. And if you're going to play him as a sole striker, you need creatives behind him. And while Pepe is creative, it's a, it's a completely different type of creativity that doesn't, that probably doesn't suit a striker like a Bamiang as well as it suits uh, a, a Lacazette or a Giroud or a different t- type of number nine mm. positionally. So yeah. those, those are my thoughts. I was really pleased to see the three of them play. That would kind of be my go-to front four for the rest of the season. Um, just in terms of p- like security on the ball, I think that's what offers us the best... Um, position to build from, to create, to create from deep, to create from higher up the pitch as well. 
Uh, and then look, if you've got Pepe to bring off on the bench from the bench with kind of 30 minutes to go, you've got Martinelli to bring on. Mm. I'm not even going to mention or Lacazette. I'm not going to mention the fourth attacker that we've got, <laughs> but those three are brilliant options to come off and also obviously to start occasionally. But Abamyang with Sacco, Degard, and Emma Smith Rowe, that would be my blueprint from now till, till May. Mm. It's interesting because I, I I agree with you that it was really promising to see those three behind Aubameyang. And I think at the moment, you know, Smith-Rowe and Saka are sort of undroppable um, and Smith-Rowe needed to be rotated, you know, to sort of manage his minutes. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of Smith-Rowe or Saka, I mean, probably more likely Smith-Rowe, sort of made way for for Erdegaard perhaps in the Benfica game. But yeah, I mean, just on, on Pepe, I think, you know, there's no problem. You know, we look at Man City and I know we're not of, of that sort of, quality and and we don't have that depth but you know so many of their forward players miss out each and every week you know rotation and being able to slot into the into the system depending on the opponent is really important and I do think you know there's definitely a case to be made that you know as a club we need to invest more time and sort of uh hope and commitment into Pepe as opposed to Erdegaard because he's our Mm. player we've paid X amount of money for him and Odegaard's a short-term loan but at the same time you know I'm sure from here out until the end of the season there's gonna be plenty of football to be played and I do think Pepe can do a job you know he's been you know um, he struggled maybe a bit more against Villa but up until that point he was he was playing really well having been out of the team for a while it was really promising to see him play well so I don't think you know it's a case of Pepe consigned to the bench for the rest of the season but like you say I think We've seen we've seen Aubameyang last season or two sort of, you know, sort of rely on his stupendous finishing ability and mm. he was outperforming his expected goals pretty pretty uh, acutely. And we saw a player who would, you know, he'd finish the chances, but he'd also make them himself. He'd, he'd score from positions where you wouldn't ordinarily want or expect strikers to score from. And I think now, or at least for the next stretch of his career, I think we're now seeing the the evolution, especially given that Lacazette's contract is is coming to a sort of end and I don't think we should renew it. So I think we now need to commit to playing Aubameyang like we saw in the Leeds game, you know, him not having to do all the work himself and create those openings for himself and take those mm. sort of, you know, low quality chances and put them away, but rather try and give him as many chances as possible, alike to Jamie Vardy, you know, when, when he's older. So I think it's really promising to see that we managed to do that against Leeds Yes, they're slightly suspect defensively, but I think it's great to see that short to medium term, this is perhaps where the team might now be going. And we've finally seen, you know, the the impact of having a Bamiang up top and not in the way that we were complaining about it at points before, you know, when, when things were going badly previously, we were saying a Bamiang needs to go up top, but we didn't have the players to mm. suit his strengths. And now we've got, you know, Smith Rowe in there, we've got Erdegaard. The, the 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 center of midfield has been helped out by those two players as well and it just looks like a far more balanced team and, and now we can finally utilize the strengths of our attacking players um quickly then before we get on to the benfica game the Leeds goals ca- goals came i mean i didn't have too much of a problem with them on an individual sort of analysis point of view um i expected them to come out in the second half it was a good header from uh, I think it's Pascal Strauch um, and then Helder Costa made it 4-2. Slightly mm. concerning that we conceded those two goals and and it was sort of 10 years 
to the week that we'd we'd conceded a four goal lead against Newcastle, and the commentators did a grand job of reminding us about that. But yeah, I wasn't too worried. I, I think we kept having our chances. Aubameyang hit the bar. Um, Saka hit the post earlier on. So, you know, I wasn't worried that we weren't going to win the game because we kept looking dangerous. Um, I know you didn't want to talk about our fourth substitution or our fourth attacking option, but I do want to quickly raise the uh, the Willian debate um, before we move on to the Benfica game. Look, I think he's he's in a real tough spot in terms of he's playing pretty terribly. He's lost his place in the team. All the Arsenal fans uh, have lost faith in him completely. Completely reasonable to suggest um, or, or sort of think that way. But I did not... Obviously, I don't think he performed that well when he came on, but I did not have a massive problem with him coming on, given that we were 4-0 up at the time, I think, or 4-1, um, you know, as opposed to Martinelli or Pepe. Yes, maybe Pepe should come on, but I think, you know, you're bringing Willian on to to give you some technical security and and sort of, I don't know, game know-how. And maybe he's not doing that, which is why people are so annoyed. But I can still see the reasoning behind it and why mm. maybe at 4-0 you don't want to bring on Martinelli, who clearly at the moment is not maybe grasping the tactical ideas that Arteta wants. And also Pepe, who's not the most sort of reliable on the ball. So what, what did you make of it? Because I know a lot of people were really sort of peeved at Willian coming on in the second half. Yeah, I think... When you break when you break it down and look at what William offered coming on with I don't know how long it was, 30, 25 minutes, however long, it makes sense on paper. He is supposedly very secure on the ball. I think we've seen plenty of evidence that goes against that since he joined. Um, but personally, and this is just my personal opinion as an Arsenal fan, is I really, really like Martinelli. I he's he's one of kind of my three favourite players in the whole Arsenal squad. I, I'm really excited about his career and how he could potentially develop, I think, into a truly world-class forward, probably centrally, which is where he'll progress. He's only 19 still, really young. Mm. And so I just, I just want to see him play as much as possible. And whether that's a kind of quite naive opinion, which it probably is, it's not a nuanced or kind of measured view of the game states and tactics it's just from as a purely fan opinion is I love watching Martinelli play for Arsenal mm. in the same way that I love watching Aubameyang play and I love watching Henri play and all different players some have been more successful in an Arsenal shirt than others but so I just like I you know I just hate seeing someone who's so off of form and so kind of energy sapping and excitement sapping from the Arsenal team come on in place of him and I just think well you know kind of fuck it we're 4-1 up we're 4-2 up stick Martinelli on to really scare Luke Ayling because I don't think William scares these defenders when he comes on Mm. I don't think there's really any defenders other than the full back that he's supposed to be protecting at the moment at Arsenal that gets scared when William enters the pitch on current form No, and so I just that that's my personal opinion, but yeah, when you break it down and look at it from a kind of deeper perspective and a tactical perspective, yes, of course, I think he it wasn't it wasn't a bad decision by Arteta, mm. and and if anything, it makes sense of all games to bring him on as a game where you're kind of four nil, four one up, and supposedly cruising, and maybe he gets a goal or an assist or 
He can run at defenders who who aren't confident. But my issue is really bringing him on on as a left sided player because he's not a left sided player. He's a right sided player, and he always goes past his man on the right and puts in crosses for for a striker or fizzes it along the byline. Mm. And putting him on the left just for me doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and if it... you're gonna and and so yeah, that's that's my issue with it. But I I think it's been it's been talked about a lot, William. If 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 we're any good as a club and our relationships with Drabchen are any good, you know, hopefully he'll be gone by this time next year. Yeah, exactly. And look, I I don't I've said it again. I don't like to dwell too much on it. And I think mm. you know when we were playing pretty badly and results were going terribly, you know, William was definitely sort of one of the not scapegoats because he deserved the criticism. But I think you know it's it's easy and logical to sort of focus your attention and criticism on players who aren't playing well and obviously Willian's come from Chelsea and he's 31 and we pay him a lot of money and he's not doing it so therefore he makes the perfect sort of target and at the moment you know i think he's not in the team he's not starting yes he comes on occasionally and yes maybe he doesn't contribute that much but i think you know the last sort of significant game that he came on for was the United game when he replaced Martinelli. I thought he was all right that day. Yeah, um, definitely was okay. He, he didn't look great against Leeds, but then again, I'm not sure you bring on Martinelli um, against Leeds um, when you're sort of four two up. Maybe you do, and and obviously a lot of people want to see Martinelli, and and so do I. But I also think there's not necessarily a rush to see him um, straight away. He's coming back from injury. He's also you know he's very raw. He's not even player who's come up through the academy system or through the English leagues you know he's plucked mm. from obviously he's had a, an excellent sort of football footballing background of his own right but he's been plucked from you know um, Brazilian you know non-league or whatever uh, relative so, obscurity from a exactly. Premier League standpoint you know, I think we've seen that Arteta is very sort of over time wants to cultivate you know the tactical understanding in his players and I think we're hopefully starting to see it with Pepe it looks like he's finally mm. getting it um, and yeah, I think we're playing well enough at the moment and seeing that William's not part of this team at the moment to know that, or at least personally, I'm not too bothered about it. When things go badly and then William is your solution and it doesn't work, then you've got a problem. And I do think, you know, it might come to that point at, at some point for the rest of the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, like you say, maybe it just doesn't work. But I think, you know, we've got to keep trying at least to some extent. Or Arteta, I can understand why he is trying because you need to keep him sort of involved and, you know, give him the belief at least that he can make a difference because we might need him at some point and we can't forget that he he has a has a certain quality. But like you say, using him on the left when he's never done that does not make a lot of sense. But let's leave that Willian discussion there because it's boring. Anything else that you wanted to talk about from the Leeds game? Um, obviously, three points, very more, very welcome, especially considering we've got City coming up and then Leicester punctuated by two Benfica games as well. So I think, you know, it's going to be tough to sort of rack up a, a winning run at the moment. But um, any other thoughts before we just turn our attention to, to the Benfica game before we enjoy tonight's Champions League action? No, I, I think we've covered it pretty well as you said hard run coming up so just really important we won this could we really couldn't afford any slip-ups but agreed we, we, we delivered so it was good yeah excellent right let's look ahead to the Europa League quickly so we're recording on Wednesday we've got the game against um mind blank Benfica 
Benfica. <laughs> I saw Rome and I was like, we're not playing Roma. Or... Um, so we're playing Benfica tomorrow. Uh, team news, Kieran Tierney's travelled. Uh, Thomas Partey hasn't. Aubameyang has. Aubameyang has. And look, I maybe if Kieran Tierney's travelled, then that suggests to me that he's he's sort of ready to play a part. Whether you start him or can bring him on, I think maybe, you know, Bellerin has played a lot of football. Maybe you rest him. I don't know if, if you can feasibly play Bellerin the full 90 against Benfica on Thursday and then City on, on Sunday. I mean, maybe you can. I think Cedric's probably more... Uh, suited to that sort of intense, you know, he hasn't played a lot of football up until now, so he sh- should still be relatively fresh. So it's good to have another option because, you know, if Tierney didn't travel, then we've got Cedric and Bellerin for the full 90 against, um, I mean, maybe Saka as well, but I don't think if you can't take him away from the right at the moment, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too bothered about, you know, obviously Thomas Partey is not ready. I'm glad that we don't rush him back again. Um, I'd far rather sort of, you know, if we then lose this first leg and then we need him for the second leg, he can play some part or save him at least for the remainder of the season as opposed to sort of focusing on the short term. And I know it's sort of crunch time in terms of, mm. you know, these games, but, you know, I, we're playing quite well. I don't think we should be rushing a player back. Um, it's a shame that he's not going to make it for the City game probably either because, you know, he. I think when we played City last time, he came on for the last like five minutes, you know, and you want your sort of big player, your big, your big uh, signing to play against the best teams and sort of show that he's really up to that level and can elevate you to that. But what are you expecting in terms of, of, of team selection on Thursday? Um, because it, it is interesting because like we said in, in the Leeds game, there was, there was some rotation, informed players dropping out, out of form players maybe coming back in and regaining form um, ahead of the City game as well on Sunday. So, so what are your thoughts um, just before we wrap up today? Well, I guess I think there will be, I think there'll be less rotation than we think, uh, or than some people think. I should say from the Premier League squad. Obviously, I'll be hugely surprised if Leno doesn't keep his place. I think the defenders. I think Louise will start, and then it's a toss-up between Gabriel and Holding. Fullback-wise, I think I'd much rather see Tierney playing this game. And then rested for the City game because I'm kind of of the mindset that Europa League is more important at the moment for the pre- than the Premier League. Mm. And I've got no issues with Cedric at right back. I think he's been perfectly decent to, uh, especially in comparison to Bellerin. Bellerin hasn't lit the world alight. I know he scored against Leeds, but that aside, if Cedric plays it, uh, against Benfica, I'm not really too bothered. Would like to see if you would assume if Tierney's travelled, maybe he's fit enough to start, and then he'll be left out against City, and then he'll play the second leg. Who knows? But would love to see him play. Obviously, he's a brilliant player. Midfield wise, can't see past Xhaka and Sabias again. Mm. Uh, can't drop Saka, can't drop Smith Rowe, can't really drop Abamyang. So it's that one left sided position that's up for grabs. I don't know too much about the Benfica setup, but obviously they've got Jan Vertonghen as one of their starting defenders who has a lot of history against us with from his time at Tottenham. So they'll they'll put up a fight defensively. And maybe we want that kind of mercurial, unpredictable player like Pepe to start mm. might take them off guard a bit rather than 
an Odegaard who in this kind of game where we really I guess we really don't need to attack as much as I'm thinking because it's an away leg still and look if we can just grab one goal away goals as far as I'm aware still count and then you know we go back home to to Greece next week for the home leg. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think, you know, I, I guess if Tierney's travelling, then you're sort of saying that he starts because I don't think, I mean, maybe you bring him yeah. from Florence, to be fair, you know, if you don't have another left back, um, then you bring him whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him start maybe and, and play an hour or likewise, you know, come off the bench for half an hour, see how he reacts and then take a view for the City game. I think Bellerin and Cedric, I'm not too fussed about who plays. Again, just manage their minutes well. I think Holding will come back in. I mean, it's a tough one because David Luiz is sort of, you know, he, he splits opinion so much, but he has been playing pretty well. Um, and Arteta loves him. We've also got, you know, Pablo Mari's fit again. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, he, you know, when he did play, there weren't many options. So maybe he is just the fourth choice or that second choice on the left-hand side. I think Gabriel will take his place because he's come back in and looked good. Again, though, I wouldn't have too many problems with rotation with these centre-backs because all of them have played quite a lot of late with different combinations and it hasn't really made too much of a difference, which shows that the structure of the team is solid. Likewise with fullback as well. Obviously, we miss a lot with Tierney, but Cedric's filled in pretty decently. I mean, bar that little lapse of concentration against Villa. Like you say, Jacques and Sabayos in midfield, I think that's a no-brainer. And this is where I think I think Pepe will come back in because I don't think you'd leave him out twice in a row and then throw him in against City. If anything, I think he's more suited to a Benfica game than against City. Yeah, um, definitely. I would like to see Erdegaard start against Benfica because, again, I don't know... I think I'd rather see Smith-Rowe start against City, perhaps. And I'd like to see one of Smith-Rowe or Saka really start from the bench. I know maybe you can't rest them. But again, like you say, I, th- I think given that it's the first leg, given how much football they've played for, I think Saka is perhaps more essential for the City game. Or even if you start both of them, you you, you give them a, a solid rest. Um, and I also think Lacazette will come back in. So looks like all of them are playing, which doesn't work. <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lacazette come back and start up front. Um, then again, maybe he's more suited to the City game as opposed to Aubameyang up top because there'll be less... Yeah, I think, I think Lacazette will start against City mm. when I think about it. And, and I also think a lot of this depends upon what, what do we realistically want to get from the City game mm. because I don't think we're going to win. I think it's quite unlikely what? that we'll really? <laughs> that we'll draw. I think they. I mean, they can look. They're comfortably, I would say, the best team in Europe at the moment. They're sixteen wins on the bounce, and if we're looking from if from a performance standpoint, putting the result to aside in that game, I just want us to kind of turn up, not lose three nil. That kind of thing would mm. be a positive in my eyes. I mean, it, it's a. You don't want to say it's a write-off. It's not. It's not a write-off because no game is. But we've got to approach that game as it is, sandwiched in between two much more important games, which are the home and away legs mm-hmm. against Benfica, and and manage our squad appropriately for the situation that we find ourselves in with the calendar and how the fixtures have kind of panned out. And so. I think we go for it against Benfica because it's much more important we get through to the next round of the Europa League than we kind of get a 1-1 draw against City, which in every Arsenal fan's mind, 
I assume would be a good result. In my mind, a 1-1 draw would be good against City. Absolutely. But, but it's much more important that we get through ben, the Benfica tie. And if we have to rest players against City, if we're starting Lacazette against City and we're starting El Nene against City, I don't know, maybe that's a bit extreme, or Pablo Marie, so be it. Because we've got to prioritise. And it's I also about getting that correct. Balance, yeah. I also think that Leicester game is is really important. Um, yeah. Unlikely that you win against City, given that you've got mm. really two two really important Benfica games either side. So again, like you say, squad management. And I think, you know, bar a few players who I don't really want to see start, Willian, Elneny maybe, um, I think everyone's playing pretty well. And so I've, I don't have a problem with rotation. So whoever starts in the Benfica game, and the City game, I think, will, you know, we've seen that Arteta can can pick his lineups appropriately at the moment. And, you know, Pepe, I think, will start. I mean, I've just read uh, some of Arteta's comments. He's really sort of bigging up Erdegaard, which is great to see. Pepe, yeah. too. So I wouldn't be surprised if both of them start, give one of the young guys... Smith a Rowe could have a rest. Yeah, give him a rest and bring him on if you need to. If not, he's fresh for the City game or if Erdegaard does really well. You know, it's all about rotation and competition for places. I think it's really healthy at the moment. So I think we're in a good place in terms of squads. And, you know, given that we're missing, I mean, Tierney's sort of back now, but no Thomas Partey, I, I think it's it's encouraging. So, I mean, I'm not going to ask you for predictions um, because I think we'd be we'd be very welcoming for, a, for a, a draw against Manchester City, but then also the Benfica game, if we could get a win, um, or even a draw would be it would be great and get an away goal. Um, but I don't think we can ask any more than that, to be honest, do you? No, I think with these away legs, my mindset is go in and either keep a clean sheet or score a goal. That that that's kind of it. You know, we lose two one, it's fine. We draw nil nil, it's fine. Obviously, if we win one nil, it's brilliant, or two nil or whatever. That's that's that goes without saying. But draw, you know, we draw one one. It's good. That's a good enough result to take back to <laughs> Athens um, for the home leg. You know, I mean, I guess we have played there a lot recently, so that that's fair. Didn't we beat Olympiacos one 0 there last year? Yeah, we did. It was a good. That was a good result. That wow. Um, we don't need to go. We've into got. That. We've got. We've got a good history there. You know, Giroud scored a hat trick there. I think in 2016, of course, 2015, 2016. So. Hopefully we can perform, and we've we we also haven't performed badly at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. I remember we won a very a very thrilling penalty shootout there years ago. I think Almunia was in goal for that. Um, would have been around two thousand and eight. I think it was seven six. We won on penalties oh, yeah. a long time ago. I can't remember that one. Um... Yeah, that that that's one for like when you're really bored, get the full penalty shootout out and just watch watch that but it should be a good it should be a good tie Benfica are a really good team they're not to be kind of taken lightly it's a t- it's a really tough draw for a round of 32 Europa League tie two years in a row to get Olympiacos and then Benfica I mean that those are Champions League caliber draws we're getting mm. and um, and look bring it on if we want to win the Europa League we're going to have to beat the team, the best teams in the Europa League, and there's plenty of other good teams. Obviously, Spurs, United, AC Milan, Leicester. They're all in it. They're all in it to win it, and we've got to, we've got to win these. We've just got to beat them. But yeah, yeah 
Well, you know what? I'm just I'm just remembering a dream I had last night, and I dreamt that Arsenal won the Europa League, and I couldn't quite believe that it meant that we were in the Champions League <laughs> the next season. But look, you know, we crashed out last year, like you said, won the FA Cup last year. I think Arteta will be ambitious. He'll know that we're tenth in the league, so mm. we've got to, we've got to take this Europa League business really seriously. So I hope we're going to perform well tomorrow bring it into the City game and then progress to the round of 16. Anyway, we'll leave it there for today because there's Champions League matches on and Manchester City, Everton on Wednesday evening. Um, a pleasure as always, Johnny. So thanks again for your time. Appreciate that big time. Uh, thanks for having me on the pod as always. <laughs> Quick reminder that you can find every episode of That Sums It All Up on my Mixcloud page. You can also access all the shows by my sharing them on Twitter at AlfieSteiner1. Find Johnny at Twitter at Johnny Rosen One and be sure to follow Football Transfer News on Facebook or Football Transfer News underscore official on Instagram. I'll be back in the pod next week post Manchester City, pre Benfica second leg, or maybe post. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, it's not all doom and gloom. And as always, do let us know if you've enjoyed today's episode. All listen, shares, and feedback much appreciated. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy your week. Until next time, goodbye.